I don't know. The guy, they were treating him like he was this some sort of like Adonis. Like, I, I, and I was like, I don't yeah. know if this really lines up with what I'm seeing. <laughs> I, you know, who am I to speak? But, <laughs> but they're like, no, he was he was totally cute. <laughs> Sorry, he was totally cute. <laughs> okay, I, I'll say I'm sure he's good looking, but I, I, I thought like I, I thought they were trying to go for like a a, a Thor with his shirt off moment. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I'm really seeing that right now. But, you know, <laughs> I, I did like that. You know, we talk a lot about male gaze and I, I yeah. do like the idea of like having the opportunity for a female gaze and like this moment to, to show show him off in this way. Um, and that's, what are you talking about, dude? He's a good looking guy. He's in I know, great he's, shape. I'm not saying he's not good looking. I'm not saying that. I don't know. It's just like the, the way they set it up was like I thought I was supposed to be looking at like a bodybuilder or something because there's just yeah. like you're all muscle and i'm like is he i don't know yeah I, look- I agree with luke episode 181 of the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week we discuss the second half of Eric Heisserer's 2021 series, Shadow and Bone. So we're excited to be joined this week by two authors and the hosts of Positively Pop Culture, K.W. Taylor and Carrie Gessner. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves. Tell us about your show. And I know you both uh, are have books out, so talk about that too. So I'm K.W. Taylor, and um, Carrie and I started the Pause Pop Positively Pop Culture podcast in, uh, was it 2019 that we yeah. started? Yep. <laughs> Seems like forever <laughs> ago. And I'll let her tell us a little bit more about the show itself, but um, I'm also an author. Um, I've got a lot of stuff out, but the main thing that I have out is a uh, time travel steampunk novel called The Curiosity Killers, published by Dogstar Books. Um, It's great for people who like time travel and adventure and steampunk, and um, it's got a a sprawling cast of characters. So uh, Shadow and Bone was really uh, very much in my wheelhouse for a lot of reasons, but um, if you enjoyed that, you might enjoy my book too. Awesome. And I'm Carrie. Yeah, we started Positively Pop Culture, Pause Pop, um, in August or of 2019, and it was sort of my idea. We j- just were tossing around podcast ideas, and we wanted to do something that showcased our love of pop culture, so we try to focus on all the positive things. Um, if we don't like something, we don't talk about it. <laughs> we're not trying to like, cool. tear things down. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we just talk about all the things we love, and we will have you guys on there at some point. So whenever you're free, come on, come on over to Pause yeah. Pop. And we'll have to get that recorded. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Cool. Yeah. And uh, I also write, um, we all, most of us, three of us went to Seton Hill for, <laughs> for writing. <laughs> and uh, I mostly write fantasy, but I'm into all kinds of speculative fiction. And if you like epic fantasy, if you're an epic fantasy reader, you might want to check out my the two, first two books of my trilogy, The Heart Friends. The first book is called The Dying of the Golden Day, and that was my thesis. Um, and I just finished the first draft of book three, so you might not have to wait too, too long <laughs> to read the conclusion. <laughs> congrats. Thanks. Yeah, congrats. 
Uh, that is true. You are outnumbered, James. We we have three CML <laughs> yes. grads here. <laughs> Go Griffins. <laughs> yeah, I love that uh, for the Pause Pop uh, Culture Podcast that you guys focus on the positive because. Uh, you know, I feel like so much today can just be headline grabbing sort of hot takes and stuff. And we try to do this similar kind of thing. We try to talk about form here on this podcast and, and, uh, you know, these things are tough to get made, you know? And mm-hmm. so it's always nice to, to come from a positive outlook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we don't shy away from being critical, but we, we always come in like wanting to give people the benefit of the doubt, trying to look at like what they were going for, even if it wasn't necessarily working, that kind of thing, because, yeah, we, we like to respect the creative process and the people behind it. Absolutely. I, I think that's important to, to recognize. And we do get a little bit critical sometimes, too. But if something was something we truly hated, we save that for our private chats. We don't bring <laughs> that to the, to, the po- to the podcast. So Cool. So I would love to hear your history with this material. Have you read Shadow and Bone before? Are you familiar with the Grishaverse overall? Um, I had not read it before. I read it specifically for this, and I'd heard of it, and um, I knew people who'd read some of it, and it sounded mostly up my alley, and I just hadn't gotten to it yet, and I really, really enjoyed it personally, and then watched the series very, very quickly. Um, So this is all very, very fresh in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I hadn't read it before either. Um, It was on my radar because I... I actually um, was in the Peace Corps in Kazakhstan about 10 years ago, and I learned Russian, and it's very close to Russia, and where I was stationed was very close to Russia. So that aesthetic appeals to me a lot. Um, but I had stayed away from it, and this not this is not a criticism of the genre, but I just haven't read YA fantasy in a long time because it wasn't hitting the buttons that I wanted pushed. <laughs> I guess. Um, but yeah, it was it was an interesting, definitely an interesting read. Cool. Yeah. I mean, we talked about our, our reaction to the book two episodes ago, our reaction to the start of the show. So I feel like we've we've already said a ton. So we're going to be asking you a lot. Um, and if sure. people want to hear more of our reactions to those early ones, those episodes are there. Yeah. We, I mean, we also talked more about the the, the showrunner as well, Eric Heiser. Oh, yeah. We're not going to cover mm-hmm. him a lot. And some of the behind the scenes stuff, we, we covered a little, we dabbled in that, I would say, because there, there wasn't a ton, but we talked about some of that. So if you're interested in that, go check out the first episode. I will say one one little fun thing I did when I started reading the book, and I had one day that I had like several hours to devote to reading the book, I made myself a playlist of Russian folk music and klezmer music and um, Roma violin music and just stuff that I felt like she was clearly drawing on the author as she wrote. Um, and that totally enhanced my enjoyment. And then I was excited that the actual score in the show was not that dissimilar to the kinds of music that I had chosen to listen to. So I rec- I recommend doing something like that when you're reading it. That's awesome. That that took some effort. Like you you went above <laughs> and beyond to read this song. I did. Yeah, I bonus did. point. <laughs> <laughs> to to go back to what you're saying, Carrie, uh, we when we were reading the story, we talked in the first episode a little bit about how Luke and I maybe aren't the perfect uh, sort of audience for, for the story. We're not the right. perfect demographic, I would say, necessarily. But yeah, we were excited about it. We, we enjoyed it. We were excited to see what Netflix would do with it. Um, and we get a lot of interesting new characters. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, do you have favorite characters so far uh, in the show? Were there standout performances for you? Anything like that? Yeah, we actually, uh, we covered Shadow and Bone, the book, in our uh, in our episode that we recorded yesterday. <laughs> and, we, and I was like, Jenya, I love Jenya. So <laughs> Jenya was one of my favorites. And then 
there were a lot of characters from other from her other books that I haven't read yet, but I really liked mm-hmm. the trio of Jesper, Kaz, and Inej a lot. Yeah, Genya was great. I really enjoyed her, and I thought her storyline was uh, better fleshed out in the in the TV series. But I like Alina. I I really um, reading the book. I got to really love her voice, and I thought she was well portrayed. Um, and so I I know there's a lot of like. There's a lot of Twitter fandom talk about um, uh, the Darkling or General Kurrigan um, Alexander that he's become kind of a fan favorite. And I did enjoy his performance. Um, I didn't like him in the book as much as I liked him in the show. Um, and I understand why there is a lot of fangirling over him. <laughs> I, you know, what's funny is I think in the in the turn of the character, I, I definitely started to like the like his performance and like the character a lot more. Because early on, I was kind of like, and I think it may have been the intention was I was kind of like put off by uh, their relationship. But as it started to build, and he kind of flipped into the more antagonistic role, I, uh, I appreciated it more. Yeah, yeah. I, I talked about in our first episode how I, I wasn't really jiving with his performance. And um, and then, yeah, I kind of ate my words going into the back half of the season <laughs> where I felt like he really came into his own. You know, I loved a lot of the scenes we'll talk about in, in more detail, but where he and Mal would like spar um, and just he, he kind of became like a full blown bad, badass toward the toward the end there and, and definitely more of a villain. And he does work in that role, and, and Ben Bard did a great job. Uh, definitely enjoyed it. I think that's where he thrives, right? Like I, performances yeah. I've seen of him when he gets into that villain role, but kind of like very attractive villain role. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And the and the backstory that we get from him that we don't get in the first book was that episode and that segment. Um, that was among my favorites for sure. That was really good. Yeah, and and then Milo the goat. We all have to. <laughs> 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 Internet was, star Milo. Yeah, I was definitely uh, excited to see the return in the second half of Milo. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I do have a little quirky question I wanted to ask. Um, from what we've seen so far, which which Grisha power do you gravitate towards? Which which would you Ooh. like to have? <laughs> I actually posed this question on Twitter last night as I was oh that's funny <laughs> stuff up and. Uh, I I think I think her power is very interesting because it it's subtle. It's dramatic in some ways because it's visually dramatic, right? And it helps them get through the fold and everything. But it also provides warmth um, and it provides light. She's able to navigate, you know, dark corridors and stuff. And when I play D and D, I think that the summoning light spell is always like really underrated because you can actually do a lot of useful things mm-hmm. with it and not have to carry around torches and whatever. <laughs> so I actually think that would be a great one. But there are a lot lot of great ones but that's probably my answer sun summoning i like that because you can basically flashbang people too right like you yeah. like use the stun on people just to yeah. blind them for moments yeah. which we see her do yeah yeah i was gonna bring that up that point where she puts her hands over the dude's eyes but we could talk about that later oh, yeah. <laughs> um so last night yeah i i gave sort of a jokey answer and i said heart render heart rendering because uh mm-hmm. i could calm myself down during a panic attack <laughs> Or calm other people uh, that's down. That's useful. I think I'd probably rather have uh, some sort of material key uh, power and just be able to fidget with things and make things. And be, I think that would just be useful. Absolutely. Uh, I, I would go with the heart rending, I think, for the reasons you talked about. I think it's one of the most useful in our day-to-day real world, right? Like being able to, <laughs> to control your body in a way. Like I wouldn't necessarily be trying to, unless I'm helping somebody out, right? Like if somebody needs to help calm down or whatever it is, you know? 
Um, but yeah, I just think it's really cool. And it's also one of the more unique powers, I think, that, that at least I haven't seen as much of in other fantasy. Um, so yeah, I really like that one. It was either that or like summon shadows because that's just kind of like goth and cool. But <laughs> <laughs> love that. What about um, you, James? I was so it's funny. Typically, when I play games and uh, even D and D, anything like that, I don't gravitate towards this t- kind of uh, character. But I think the healing in this world is like really powerful because you're talking mm. people are mortally wounded many, many times. And the healers are just like from a distance they can heal. It doesn't need to be a touch thing. So like it's pretty, pretty awesome. So I, I was definitely thinking like these healers are, are wildly powerful. Sounds yeah. like we got a good party here. <laughs> <laughs> Very effective. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I think overall we've, we talked our general thoughts. You want to say anything else, Luke? I feel like you, we haven't given our like second half thoughts. Very yeah. Much. I guess gen- just generally kind of similar to what went on with the Darkling. Like, I think the show really shifted into another gear and, and came into its own in the second half. Um, I think, uh, you know, I was, if it had just been like a consistent quality from what I saw early on, I would be more mixed on the show. But by the end, I was really enjoying it. Um, I think especially the next episode we're going to talk about was a real standout. But there was a lot of good stuff in the in the in back half of the, the season. And it made me feel like, uh, I don't know, a lot more interested in season two than I maybe would have been. Like now I'm really into it and I, I definitely will watch when it hopefully comes out, which I assume it will. <laughs> yeah. Um, for my thoughts, I thought that, um, you know, I liked seeing a lot of the things that we read in the book come to life. But there were some things in the book that, that I didn't love completely. Like I, I still I still would have liked to have seen the whole like Alina being a puppet thing. I just still still like kind of rubs me a little bit the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And I love that she like overcomes that and the power of the stag with and everything. But uh, that stuff I th- and, and I can't really blame the show on that because that's just part of the story. Um, but overall, I think, you know, I, I really like the stuff with the crows continued to be some of my favorite stuff. Um, and I think in the second half, we got a little less crows because they started to be like more integrated in the story and we were more focused on what was going on with Lena. So I think overall, the show did improve, but I um, I kind of was hoping, I guess what I'm looking forward to is like, I want some more crows. Like I, mm. I want a lot of crows and I can't tell if it's because I was so familiar with, with the story that we'd already read and it was very much like kind of hitting the same boxes that the, the book did for me. Uh, but I'm really, uh, impressed in the, with the fact that like they were able to thread the crows in and from what, what we heard, we actually had a, a, a listener like comment on some of our posts saying that like stuff that happens in this story with the crows isn't what happens in the crows actual novels. So yeah. like, this is sort of like added material for them. Yeah. I w- I'm impressed with their ability to do that. Like that's a, that's a tall order as a writer to, Oh, we have this other group of characters. We have this existing story. Let's try and integrate them in a way that doesn't anger everybody and in fact is just cool. That's yeah. a, that's tough. Especially cuz it's like almost inherently going to start to break your world for, for for if you're trying to follow exactly what happened for people who are familiar with it, you know? Like like having these characters clash and like obviously in the story that we read, maybe they were there under the deck at the end of the story when they when they're on the skiff, but uh they're pretty involved and I feel like Alina or or, or Mal may have mentioned that during the yeah. during the battle. Yeah, that was very interesting to me. I have not read those books. My husband read the first book and was telling me a little bit about, yeah, this is this is this and that, but um it made it feel like a much larger world. If we had filmed just book one of the Shadow and Bone trilogy, I think it would have been not really enough for an eight episode season. So because she's got, 
I don't remember how many books are in the whole Grisha verse, but it's a lot. And so being able to draw that together, and I've read some reviews that do criticize the fact that at points it doesn't seem very integrated, but that's a tall order. That's really hard to do. So they did a great job, I think. Yeah, that was one of my notes, actually, of why I didn't care as much for the book, because you're really locked into Alina's point of view. Sorry, but I didn't love Alina as much as KW did. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, she's, you know, she's cool in her own ways. Um, But I had some issues with her storyline. So yeah, I really love that they added the crows. Um, I thought, like Luke, I thought the show got better as it went on. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, I want to read Six of Crows now. Like, (laughs) I hadn't Mm. wanted to read that before. But um, yeah, I really like the Crows edition. Yeah, I think that's what's going to ultimately when I when I finished the show, I was like, I do want more. Like, I I was kind of bummed at the end of the season because I'm like, man, this is like it's just gearing up to the point where like this this first story didn't really reinvent the wheel as far as a fantasy story is concerned. But the but the world building is so unique. And and I like the setting so much and the power system and the characters like I really want to see how things are subverted going forward and what mm-hmm. kinds of other stories we can get within this world. And now I'm like, all right, I'm ready for season two. Whenever it comes yeah. out, I'll definitely check it out. I'm, I'm really curious because I, I suspect whatever happens in book one of Six of Crows is probably about to begin now. That's what it feels like at the end of the show. So I suspect we're going to get the Six of Crows uh, actual storyline, but they're going to continue to integrate them in a way that maybe they aren't even in the books because now these characters all know each other really well. Um, and the the trilogy of Shadow and Bone books are going to be continuing to play out. So I'm curious, you know, like if we are going to cover season two, we might have to read book two of Shadow and Bone and then go read <laughs> the first book in the duology just to be on, on par with where the story is going to be at, I suspect. Yeah. And I, honestly, I'd be on board. You know, like I yeah. said, I'm, I'm invested enough at this point. I, I, I want to see what happens next. And it's a challenge as an adaptation, right? Like to to try and juggle these things and 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 it's interesting you said that about the reviewers because i one of the things i said in my notes was like it's getting a little bit ridiculous that they're always there for all of these (laughs) events but it kind of starts to become a feature because to me it seems like it's like not it's not trying to be serious about it it's like yeah they just happen to be in the same boat you know and like (laughs) it happens enough times where you're like oh that's just what's going to happen they're like lucky or something or unlucky however you want to view it i guess that they're always around for these really big events yeah it feels like an avengers crossover moment where like all the heroes (laughs) are coming together and we're getting to see the ways that they'll interact with each other bouncing (laughs) off each other yeah i did like the point at um i think in episode seven where um the only way across the fold is the one skiff that Alina and the Darkling <laughs> yeah. are on and they're all like all the crows are like do we really want to go on the ship where everyone else wants to kill us <laughs> they address it like a little bit yeah, yeah. they're like well yeah. the plot demands it so let's yeah. do it <laughs> <laughs> okay so if everyone's ready I think we should move into the plot now I'll start by reading synopsis of episode five show me who you are is the episode title Alina is adjusting to life at the palace, but she is still sad all of her letters to Mal have gone unanswered. She becomes friends with Jenya, who helps her to get ready for the ball. Alina then goes to see General Kirigan, and they talk about her upcoming performance. Alina kisses him, and when she pulls away, they're both smiling. They meet again at the feet, where with Kirigan's help, she puts on a show for the audience, leaving everyone awestruck with dazzling lights and glowing orbs. The whole crowd bows to her and calls her Sancta Alina. Mal, meanwhile has stumbled his way to a first army camp. He says he's found the stag and he demands he be allowed to deliver the news so he can see Alina. The general agrees and says that they'll ride to the palace together. 
Kiergan asks Mal to show him where the stag was located on a map, but Mal refuses to do so until he can see Alina. Once Kaz and his team are inside, Kaz, disguised as a guard, monitors the route Alina will walk later that night. Jesper finds a horse that'll get their carriage out quickly, and Inej prepares for her routine. The conductor will get Alina, and they'll all head out. The first part of the plan goes well, but things start to go wrong when the conductor cuts Alina's throat, which gets him captured. It turns out that Alina was a decoy. Kaz and Inej are in pursuit of the real one. They tell Alina they'll escort her to dinner, clearly intending to kidnap her, but Kirigan messes up the plan by offering to take Alina to dinner. A few guards go to Bagra and inform her that the stag has been found. Bagra has Mal brought to her chambers, where a few Grisha attack him. Kirigan takes Alina to his chambers, where they kiss until a guard knocks at the door, interrupting them. Kirigan answers, and the guard tells him about the attempt on Alina's life. He closes the door and tells Alina he'll be right back. Vagra comes in and says that Kirigan wants to use Alina's power to expand the fold and weaponize it because he's really the black heretic. Vagra is Kirigan's mom and can, can also control darkness. She gives Alina a way out of the palace with Grisha, who are loyal to her, and Alina goes. Kirigan meets Vagra outside of the palace. She tells him she's disposed of the tracker, so his greed for the stag will go unsatisfied. Mal listens in secretly. Kaz is nearly killed by a guard who follows him and taunts him. Inej saves his life, throwing a knife across the room and into the guard's head. Jesper has been waiting by a carriage and is awestruck when Alina voluntarily climbs in the back of the carriage. Kaz and Inej make it outside and tell Jesper they've lost their target, but Jesper smiles knowing otherwise. Well, a lot happens in that episode, huh? <laughs> That's the longest synopsis that I have here, so, yeah. just so you know, that was a long one. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, let's start at the top. So um, Alina's adjusting to life. She becomes friends with Jenya. Carrie, you mentioned that you, that you really like Jenya. Did you did you want to talk about this scene? One of the things that I really liked about Jenya in the book is it's really Alina's only, she's really Alina's only female friend because she doesn't like Zoya and Marie and the the other girl, I don't remember her, her name. Um, they're just sort of irritants. Alina doesn't like them very much. Um, which has changed in the in the show a little bit. They're actually they seem to be actual friends. So I was really into that in the book, um, and I was talking about this a little bit uh, to KW. Jenya sort of occupies this interesting liminal space because she is a Grisha, but she has such such special powers that she is um, she's sort of just a servant to the queen. So she's kept apart from all the other Grisha. So I thought there was really interesting. That was an interesting way to dive into their relationship because they're both sort of outsiders. And you do see them becoming more friends, um, even though as we who read the book knew kind of what was <laughs> what was coming. <laughs> um, and that's the first time that David comes in and you see that Jenya has a little crush on him. And you get that moment of humanity that I really liked. And Alina starts to tease her about having a crush. And I just thought it was really cute. And then, you know... In the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, this is going to go poorly. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to question that even though we know what's going to happen with that character, like how much of her behavior with Alina is genuine because maybe she too hasn't been able to really be close with anyone. So there's this, I mean, I wouldn't, I would not want to be in that position where you, you have an agenda that's sort of subversive, but then this person is being really kind to you. And they're also in a strange uh, position of being a new Grisha and being thrown into this world and, and being potentially exploited. Um, so I think that 
uh, Jenya could relate to that, you know, and, and probably did feel genuine friendship toward Alina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we explore that dynamic more in the show than we than we got in the book too which I, mm-hmm. I definitely enjoyed in a later episode i do think this is the scene where she warns alina to be careful of powerful men which i thought was a really yeah. good line and and also like the first moment where she is sort of revealing like maybe there's a little bit more going on even though alina doesn't necessarily understand that that's what's being revealed um that's where she's kind of saying like i know a little bit more than i'm letting on <laughs> Yeah, so uh, the next thing we get is the the feat itself when when she's performing her her sun summoner powers and everyone starts to worship her after that, you know, which I found to be pretty interesting because it, it does. I love the way that uh, Inej eventually ends up rea- uh, interacting with her and the way that she's the saint. And everyone's calling her Sancta Alina uh, and like what that can be like for the character going forward, especially because of where we're left with the characters. What did you guys think about that? That was really cool. And I do want to praise the show for having, I don't know what kind of budget they had, but the special effects were seldom cheesy looking. They usually looked really decent. There were probably a few moments that weren't perfect, but anytime they showed the the sun effect, uh, and especially in this moment, it, I thought it was beautiful. I really liked that scene because Inej was so integral. Um, and I found her her faith and her background and her storyline to be really interesting, even though we don't get a ton of it. So the fact that she really believes that Alina is a saint and Kaz is against it, um, I thought that provided some interesting tension. So I like that scene just because it it really showed um, Inej's faith. And like you said, they it leads to a, a really cool scene down the road. Several great scenes between uh uh, her and Alina and, and I definitely like it because Kaz is this skeptic right like he doubts everything he thinks everybody's putting on a performance and he often is proven correct um, but a lot of their arc going forward is like him trying to come to the belief that that you know Alina is a real sun summoner and what that act- actually means is a point of contention because for Inej this is a saint who's walking around among the humans and you know is wor- is like worship them and I think that's really fascinating, right? When your religion is surrounding a real person all of a sudden um, and what kind of power that gives to that person is, is interesting going forward to, to see how they interact. And then again, Inej is one of my favorite characters. And throughout, I kept wanting, like I would, I would start to write a note where I was like, man, I really wish we'd get more badass moments from Inej. And then something badass would happen like right after I go to write that note. So I'm like, okay, there <laughs> I felt like they were giving me just enough, but I just really want more from the character. Um, so I'm one of the characters I'm very excited to see what, what happens in book two where, or uh, season two, where I assume they're going to be going off of more book stuff for for her. And there's probably a lot of great stuff, I assume. Yeah. Again, what a juggling act that is to, to introduce a character that's already well established, that has an interesting backstory and is, you know, compelling yeah but it's nothing that was already written you know it's all entirely new and i think that uh, lee bardugo being an executive producer probably helped that a lot to like sort of bridge the gap and make everything connect have that connective tissue i did want to say this party this this whole setup is really cool like the they're they're doing this and several times throughout the show they use the crows to do this in a way that creates a lot of great dramatic tension where they're having a little plot line where they're trying to like pull a heist at the same time that a major event from the book that I remember is happening where that wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. So it adds this really cool layer of like, well, what if we had this same thing going on this party? And at the same time, we had the group of crows there trying to kidnap Alina. And it creates this 
complex like uh added layer that that made everything feel fresh to me so as a book reader i was really happy with it yeah i thought that was really interesting too because as a book reader you sort of know they're not going to succeed but you're just waiting for it to fall apart and you don't know how it's going to (laughs) happen Yeah. And when they cut that Alina's throat, I was shocked. I was, I was oh my goodness. I was so confused by that moment. And it was so scary. I had to rewind a little bit and was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute this can't. Have they just killed the leading lady? And it's <laughs> yeah. all like, oh, whoops. Even <laughs> but, to the moment where she says, I, I don't want to die with this face on. I'm yeah. like, is, is she talking about this like magic makeup they had put on? I didn't realize yeah. it was no, no, completely different face. Oh, yeah. That was very stressful. Last week we talked about the conductor Luke, and we kind yeah. of bought into him potentially I, he, being he a crow. Me. And he fooled me. I thought he was a good guy. He, he's not. <laughs> well, we we were skeptical, you know, because he kept having like sketchy dealings in the background yeah. and stuff. But mm-hmm. ultimately, we were like, oh, he seems like he might be a crow, though. We were completely wrong. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was actually a little upset about that, even though they did drop in those uh, those little hints that he wasn't totally on um, totally straight, but. Um, yeah, I, I think just the show is like, oh, here's a guy who's like mostly good and you want to believe he's good. But then actually Kaz is right and he's a terrible person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that Kaz is able to like sort of manipulate it out too, to, to, to solve the to, to figure out one way or another if this person's going to be loyal to them. It's partly probably because we are close to Alina as a person and he's murdering an innocent person. So that's never, never good. But <laughs> I, I suppose we don't really see the point of view of this general that he's working for, who's, you know, like we don't know what the real aim is of trying to keep these countries separated. And it, it, this is the kind of thing where it seems like they're going for some political machinations, but they don't they're not really interested in like fully exploring them. So we're only getting tastes of what that general actually wants. And instead, he just seems like a villain. Whereas maybe he has some valid points. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the Darkling's not a good guy, so opposing him seems to make sense. So uh, speaking of the Darkling, seeing Kaz and Mal and these people have to come up against him yeah. in different situations was always interesting because you're like, this guy is so powerful and he easily could just end anyone at any time. Um, and particularly, I'm sure that anyone who's a big, who's really into the love triangle of what's going on in this story, when Kaz or I'm sorry, when Mal and Kirigan first come face to face and they're talking about the map and where the stag is and everything. Pretty tense moment. And just like, you know, what team are you on? Kind of kind of thing uh, was definitely apparent to me. And I think they, they certainly play that up a little bit more in the book than they do in the series, since there's so mm-hmm. much more they have to pack into the series. Um, uh, and that, you know, the love triangle may or may not. I, I do think it's a little bit derivative, um, but it's also like these things work like people do respond to them and especially the target demographic of at least the first book would respond well to that. I didn't mm-hmm. like Mal in the series as much as I liked him in the book though. Um, Interesting. I, I don't hate the actor or anything. I just don't know that that's how I really envisioned the character. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was a little disappointed that he was a little bit more taciturn than I uh, pictured. So. Mm, okay. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, how about when Bagra shows up to be the uh, the secret badass that's going to save the day? Uh, comes in through a secret door in the room right after the... And I was like, did Bagra like know they were making out and potentially about to have sex? Or like, was she like lurking? Uh. <laughs> I thought that worked much better in the show than it did in the book. Um, in the book, I don't know. It just happened way too fast. And mm-hmm. Alina makes that switch. And I just didn't get the weight of it or why she would go from 
making out with the darkling to oh he's the worst person in the world just from Bagra's uh, <laughs> just from Bagra yeah. telling her uh, so I thought that worked really well really uh, a lot better in the show and I do like uh, the actress who plays Bagra a lot so mm. I think Zoe something um, so I thought that worked much better yeah Zoe Wanamaker is brilliant she's one of those you see her and she's in everything she's been in Doctor Who and Harry Potter and all that and it's mm-hmm. just very very talented and I didn't picture her looking like that but then seeing her casting I was like oh well that's fine she's great you know she's not <laughs> yeah. gonna she's not gonna do a bad job at all and the only thing that I missed was seeing more training um, between them because I liked that they laid in a, a relationship between her and Alina, which we don't see enough of in the show. But again, you've got to compress stuff. So, yeah, I assume that Bagra will be back in some capacity la- mm-hmm. later in the series because it's, she's just such an interesting character being connected to the the Darkling in that way. Yeah, I mean the the Bagra Alina relationship is really interesting but i the bagra bagra darkling relationship i'm glad we got to see a little more of it but i am so fascinated by the idea of this mother who is just actively working against her son and she seems to be relying on the fact that like you're not gonna kill me because i'm your mom and i'm wondering if there's like a point where that no longer becomes true and you know it seems like a potential for a lot of drama there and so yeah i'm really curious to know like if she continues to openly defy him is there a breaking point where he's gonna I don't know, have to have to do something to her <laughs> or, or what powers did she have? Can she fight back? I don't know. Exactly. We have to assume she's powerful. She's yeah. from the same lineage. She has the same powers. So we'll see. Maybe she gets an amplifier, yeah. you know? Yeah. Anytime you get that inner family struggle, like that's that's always uh, rife for uh, good drama. So the last thing in this episode I want to touch on is just uh, I loved seeing Jesper's reaction to Alina just jumping in the trunk uh, at the end, <laughs> at the end of the into the carriage. It was just so funny to me. Um, and Jesper, uh, I, you know, we talked a lot about Inej in our first episode. Mm-hmm. I just want to shout out how awesome Jesper is as well. We did talk about him a little bit, but just like he's yeah. amazing comic relief, but also a really interesting character. There's a lot of depth there. And uh, I just love the way he sees the world. Yeah, he's great. I thought he was consistently funny and appealing and was my favorite of the trio there. I like, too, that you've got Inej with her knives and you've got Jesper with his guns. So thought that was a good uh, juxtaposition. Yeah. I was so uh, happy to see him get his like little hook up in the stables. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> he's just like, he's that's how he is, right? He's got time for this, even though he's in the middle of an incredibly stressful uh, thing where people are counting on him and he's still going to go kind of just take care of Jesper for a minute. Um, and he, you know, so I was, I was, I was laughing about that. And then, yeah, the, the moment where she climbs into the carriage is that's the thing I was talking about where it's like, it's so ludicrous that she would happen to get in this one carriage. And then this thing happens over and over and over again, where it's like, okay, they're just like almost supernaturally lucky. It seems like, and, and it became a feature for me. Like it was a joke, but like a joke I, I thought was funny is like, yeah, what if they just kept getting like rammed into the plot in a way that, you know, they're they can't even believe it's happening. They're like looking at each other. Like, I can't believe that actually just happened. <laughs> <laughs> Did I, I couldn't put together whether Alina. So Bagra said there were like people waiting to, to help her leave. Right. There was some some Grisha yeah. or somebody that were loyal. I could, did. Did Alina think that that was the carriage that was waiting to take her away? Or did she just jump into a random carriage? She she took a she, there was like a moment where she was at a fork and she had this like thought of like am i going to go to where she told me to go or am i going to go this way and she like very you know she deliberately chooses the other way and i think it was just that like and i liked it because it showed that she maybe didn't 100% trust bagra 
in the way that I was a little frustrated that in the book she seemed to 100% trust Bagra. Yeah, you're right. I had forgotten about that scene, actually, but it was very deliberate. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. going left instead of right. <laughs> okay, so episode six is called The Heart is an Arrow. Kirgan learns from the conductor that an East Ravkin general wants the Sun Summoner dead. The conductor was going to kill her rather than take her across the fold. Now that Alina is with the dregs, their theory is that she's going to be taken across and Kirigan wants to stop that from happening. Alina escapes from the dregs, but she reveals herself when she uses her powers to fend off a few soldiers. She flees into the woods and Mal is there waiting for her. He takes her to safety where they argue about who didn't respond to whose letter and whether she knew she was Grisha. They make a camp together and Alina uses her powers to keep them warm. Alina thinks that if she can use the stag as an amplifier, she can grow enough to destroy the fold. They head for Furida, toward where Mal last saw the stag. Kaz and Inej argue after Alina escapes. Inej let her go, believing in the strength of her power and her potential to save her people. Kaz, on the other hand, is convinced her powers were an illusion, and he's furious with Inej for letting Alina slip away. The trio debate leaving empty-handed, since they've lost Alina's trail and they know Kirigan will soon track them down. He does track them down successfully, and they flee a tavern and split up. Kaz eventually comes face to face with Kirigan, who demands to know what he did with the Sun Summoner. Kaz tells him the truth. Alina fled on her own. Kirigan tries to kill Kaz, but he escapes in a flash of bright light. In the aftermath of the storm, Nina and Matthias work together to stay alive. Eventually, as they trek through the snow together, he admits he likes her. When Nina unexpectedly almost falls through the ice, Matthias saves her life. Let's get let's jump to Alina with the uh, escaping from the dregs and using her powers openly against the dregs and um, and the soldiers. Yeah, like I said early on, she does that. She has that moment where she covers the dude's eyes and blinds him with with yeah. sunlight, which I thought was really cool and sort of very understandable because she's just reacting to um, to people trying to capture her. Um, but one of the things that that scene brings up again i don't know i'm sorry i don't know if you've talked about this in the first episode uh i listened to your most of your uh book episode but not the one that came out this week and it's all good this episode uh or this scene brings out that she's shoe so Mm -hmm. again um they touch on it a lot and i don't think that's in the books but i that was a really interesting part of part of it to me because it it further alienates her almost and i'm really interested to see what they do with it down the line um but that's part of the reason she kind of stands out a little bit and the soldiers go after her i think the full name of the territory is shuha right mm-hmm. uh, and like shuha shuhan maybe shuhan okay well i'm really excited to see that territory in the future like i would like to see how they integrate that into the world and you know i assume her parents being killed off screen beforehand or is maybe also another thing that's to be dealt with in future books yeah i i like that she at least is getting revenge for someone saying something like that right like i i like that it's not just like said and then she has to deal with it like she's like fuck you and blasts his eye out (laughs) (laughs) i actually read an article this morning about the fact that they made that change that to make her half shoe uh, in the series that was not present in the book. And, um, but that there was the criticism that it was too subtly explained that uh, the main country is at war with the shoe country. And so that that's part of the um, inherent racism. And earlier, uh, which I may have been in episode four, but um, she's asked to 
uh, make her eyes look less shoe, which was kind of like she's very resistant to that. And um, but that all of these touches are a little too subtle, and we don't get the full picture of the the political uh, ramifications and the racism. So I mean, I think they're making an effort uh, to make some points, but it's just a little subtle. Interesting. Yeah, I uh, we talked about it in our last episode a bit. Mm-hmm. about how I, I had been seeing some of the discourse online and, and a lot of people feeling very strongly that it was ruining the show for them. Um, and, you know, a lot of people who, uh, especially anti-Asian-coded uh, racism like this, um, showing up in their fantasy show, you know, especially right now with what's going on in America, it was like, well, this is really hard to watch. Um, and so I got that, but um, I did want to... I, I, won't, I won't name her because I didn't ask for her permission, but um, we had a listener who commented that um who is who is of asian descent um that for her she actually liked it because this showed a character who wasn't um playing into the model minority myth Mm -hmm. um and instead was was fighting back and and not sort of playing playing well with everybody um and just kind of taking it in stride um is my understanding of it at least. And, and, and so I wanted to represent both sides because I do think like oh, yeah. either side is totally valid, you know, like you could see this and, and it can just completely turn you off and, and feel like this has no place in, in this fantasy story that is otherwise very fun, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's not really dealing with a lot of these really heavy topics like this. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, there is something to be said for it too. I do, I do agree with your take that like, um, it doesn't seem like they really explore it enough for it to feel fully justified yet. It mm-hmm. seems like maybe they'll do something in the future with it, where they actually introduce the Shuhan, um, and mm-hmm. it could become important that Alina is is part Shuhan. But um, right now, it feels, I don't know, like it, it just feels unfinished. It's like they're they're maybe they're going for something, but they haven't got there yet. I think that's my point. I I thought it was a good move. I just wish maybe that there had been more of a flashback of her childhood or some little historical moment of explaining that these countries are at war. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that representation matters. And so having um, having this particular actress play this character, I'm all for it. And I thought she did a great job. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm really glad that she is playing the role, um, you know, regardless. But that was one of the things we talked about, too, is that uh, Lee Bardugo talked to, has said that she wanted them to address the diversity issue of mm-hmm. the first book where she didn't feel like she did a good job of um, showing the variety in the world that she intended. Um, and she regretted that and like later tried to remedy it in, in different books. Um, but she wanted that to be a, a change. And so I think a lot of people were hoping for that and looking forward to that and then were surprised to see the racism element. And they were just hoping mm-hmm. for the diverse mm-hmm. cast without that. You yeah. know? So I think there's it, it just it just depends on people's expectations and, and how sensitive they are to it, you know, which... Mm-hmm. You know, who am I to judge because I'm a white dude? So, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to weigh in any more than that other than yeah. just to say that we are aware of it. And, and I've seen it talked about online. But honestly, uh, yeah, I would search out articles written about it and stuff who are probably going to do a better job of breaking it all down. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about in this uh, section our, and, and honestly ask you, all three of you, your reaction to this Nina Matthias Matthias uh, relationship that's beginning to form. Um, they go to this whaling hut, I think, in this episode, right? And they have to huddle together for warmth. And to me, it was like, okay, I've seen this before. Um, they're like <laughs> stripping down. Um, and I don't know, like we, we talked a little bit about it last episode about, okay, are they going this route of like redeeming him and making this actual thing? Um, and they do end up going that route. Um, what Does it work for you? 
I felt very on the fence about it. I These actors have chemistry. So I was like, oh, I kind of ship this. But I also was like, oh, but he's so, ugh. And I don't know. I Oh, my goodness. I felt very <laughs> twisted up about it. Um, ultimately, I feel like I'm enough of a romance reader that I was like, you know what? This is, it's problematic, but it's still kind of cute. So I can't <laughs> totally hate it. And I think they... If we if we imagine that the unfolding of their relationship would go a little bit longer, that there's moments that we don't see, I don't think it's unrealistic to have this enemies to lovers kind of subplot. Um, it it gets really emotional in the next episode, I think, and and so um, it's not going to completely satisfy anybody who gets sucked into the romance part, but. I don't know. I'm ultimately not mad at it. I can't. <laughs> I'm too sappy. I'm too sappy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I felt really similarly. Um, when it started, I was sort of like, okay, here we go. Like, you know the tropes, you know all the steps that are coming. Um, but both the actors are really charming. And I was like, you know what? I'm kind of into it. Uh, <laughs> it is problematic, especially I do appreciate that they waited until she was not like chained up by him to really get to know each other. Um, otherwise, that would have been really skeevy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think ultimately what what kept me from fully investing was that they don't really get a lot of time together in this season, and I'm hoping they get more time next season. But I do appreciate the fact that they're both sort of confronting fallacies that they believe about the other country and I think you could do really interesting things with that um that's actually something that I have written about in my own books um so I'm really interested in in things like that and I we we're not on episode eight yet but I think the way their storyline ended um is a good jumping off point for season two can I say one dumb thing? Danielle Galligan, who plays Nina, looks so much like a young Kate Winslet. And the scene where they're oh, yeah. on I, the... I totally agree. Yes. <laughs> totally agree. And so the scene where they're on the like little raft thingy, I'm like, see, you can fit two people on that door. I'm saying. <laughs> I, I thought the same thing. I was like the, the, the blouse she was wearing, yes. everything being like wet, reminded me so much of Titanic. I was like, is this an homage to Titanic <laughs> in the middle of Shadow and Bone right now? Uh, so I guess to give my honest reaction to it, I, in the first, you know, and when we first were seeing the beginning of the story, I felt like a, such a cynic because I was like, uh, I, uh, like, like Carrie said, I saw all the tropes that were coming and I thought that Nina was an inter- interesting character kind of right off the bat. I liked her attitude, I liked the way that she was, she was sort of interacting with the world. And I was like, man, this could lead to some really interesting stuff if we just get her taken as a prisoner to Fjorda or whatever's going on over there. And then, boom, we get her on the boat. And it's like this, this like budding, like, like chemistry and like tension that they have between each other. I did appreciate the sort of like witch, witch hunter against each other uh, thing. And as, as time went on, I, I liked it more and more. Um, but ultimately, like Harry said, the thing that really sold me on this was the, was the end of it because that was the subversion that I needed to buy into their, their story going forward. Cause it felt very, you know, we've seen it a million times and I, you know, I'm not much of a romance reader. So I, and I totally defer to, to KW and the, and the fact that like, if this, if, if, th- if this is working, then this is working for, for romance. And, and, um, ultimately think that I that I liked when they were like in the pub together and they were sort of running off together that's when their their relationship was at that's when I bought in and then the things that the fallout from all of that 
was where I felt like it was earned. I was like, okay, well, like this was this was worth it ultimately. Yeah. I have this theory I'll put forward that may be completely wrong because I haven't read the books and there's there's proof of this out there. So I, people will tell me if I'm wrong, I'm sure. Um, but I kept thinking, like, are these characters who we meet at, at an advanced part of their relationship where they're either already together or getting together and their backstory is that there were a witch hunter and a Grisha who overcame it to come together? Because I think that would be a really interesting backstory if we met two characters who were together and it's like, oh, a witch hunter and a witch together already. And it would be like, oh, there's there's, there's all this great backstory there. And I wonder if that's the case and they decided to mine that backstory and put it as a plot line here in this season. But my my main criticism with it is it feels completely disconnected from everything else going on in a way that none of the other storylines are. So every time we'd go over there, I was like kind of interested, I guess, but I, I felt like this was a distraction. It was like, okay, now I'm going to go grab a drink because this isn't super important to what's happening to everybody else. Um, I didn't, but um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that I mean, and, and, and you know, you could see a lot of it coming too. So, so ultimately, I'm, I wonder if they thought it was going to be maybe a little more interesting than it ended up being. I don't know. Um, and I thought the actors had good chemistry with each other, but I kept wondering if they, if, um, I don't know, the guy, they were treating him like he was this some sort of like Adonis, like, I, I, and I was like, I don't yeah. know if this really lines up with what I'm seeing. I, you know, who am I to speak? But, but they're like, no, he was, he was totally cute. <laughs> Sorry, he was totally cute. <laughs> okay, I, I'll say I'm sure he's good looking, but I, I, I thought like I, I thought they were trying to go for like a a, a Thor with his shirt off moment. Yeah. And I was like, I don't know if I'm really seeing that right now. But, you know, <laughs> I, I did like the, 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 you know, we talk a lot about male gaze and I, I yeah. do like the idea of like having the opportunity for a female gaze and like this moment to, to show, show him off in this way. Um, and that's, what are you talking about, dude? He's a good looking guy. He's in I know, he's, I'm not saying he's not good looking. I'm not saying that. I don't know. It just like the, the way they set it up was like, I thought I was supposed to be looking at like a bodybuilder or something because it's yeah. like you're all muscle and i'm like is he i don't know he yeah look- I, I agree with luke <laughs> okay okay i'm not i'm not crazy no, okay <laughs> no, i think he's i think he's a very attractive guy um but that that scene just stuck out to me where she like looks and then does a double take and it's just a mm-hmm. slow pan up of his abs and i was like oh Okay, that looks like a normal male body. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have also heard um, people say that like I, you know I don't know who directed this episode or who who made the decisions, but I have heard um, interesting takes on uh, men attempting to replicate female gaze oh. and like if, how how you guys feel about that. Like, if, is this a true female gaze moment or is this a man trying to understand what a what a woman wants to see? Kind Was of, this directed it, by a man? Is that what you're saying? I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm going to go look at it right now. Okay. I think, well, first of all, you have to understand that it's not necessarily that the audience is impressed with him. I was, but, you know, <laughs> we have to, <laughs> not everybody's going to be. But Nino is impressed with him. Yeah, And sure. so we are seeing, and also she's, even though they're both just kind of, you know, taking their clothes off, she is not objectified in that scene really at all. Um, he keeps calling her body and stuff, and she's getting a lot of her seduction in through words, um, but not through anything overt and that he's the one who is um, objectified, but it's also not even that much. So um, I think it's just a matter of taste. And I thought he looked like a a young, a young version of the guy who was on the killing and who was in, um, Oh, he was on a Netflix science Uh, fiction show. Carbon. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He he looked very much like that guy. And you're um, right. They do. They're very, yeah. They have some similar (laughs) body type stuff going on. I agree with that. Directed by a woman. Oh, okay. By the way. Oh, there we go. See, I'm not surprised. I feel like it was just gratuitous enough on him, but not too much. And again, she was completely not objectified whatsoever. So 
I'm not mm. surprised. I think part of it is the 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 lining up of everything else going on with the relationship, how they had had this contentious thing where he was her cap captor. Yeah. And then it felt like they were flipping this switch of like, he just looks so damn good. That she's <laughs> she, she can't take her eyes off of him in this moment. And maybe that's like a romance thing or something they're setting up. And I, I I'm just not as used to that genre. Um, and I wasn't expecting it maybe to where it, it, it felt a little bit on it. Like I wasn't ready for it yet. I think I had the opposite reaction because I sort of knew it was coming and I didn't okay. <laughs> want them to, I didn't want them to slide into that easy sort of, Oh, they're going to be attracted to each other. And then it happened. And I was like, rolling my eyes but then <laughs> later on i was like okay i'll i i get it <laughs> yeah it's such a trope in both romance fiction but also like rom-coms sitcoms it's like the thing of oh no there's only one motel room and yeah oh we are just boss and employee we don't yeah. wanna, you know it's just very but we're but we're, we're freezing to death so let's have a playful warm-up session, which I imagine yeah. there would be, there'd be like nothing sexy about that in real life. If you were no. like dying from cold <laughs> and you're trying to stay yeah. warm, you're not going to be turned on at all. But in, in fiction, I guess it, it can work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, also Alina and Mal are, are reconnected here. Mal is like tracking her since she, since she got away from Kaz's group. I do, is this the episode where there's kind of a similarity going on where, they're also really cold and she sort of keeps them warm with her magic. I don't know if that happens next episode mm -hmm. or not, but I thought it was interesting that those two it was like happening on both. I don't know if it's good or not, but it was like, okay, they're going for a similar scene that plays out in a slightly different way. Instead of getting naked, they're, they're sort of huddling around her power. Yeah. And Mal gets to come to grips with her being a Grisha and yeah. why it's not scary. And I, I, I like the, uh, the detail of the, you know, her son summoning, not creating warmth, but, you know, also not creating any smoke is, is a nice touch because it's like, what an invaluable, if you're on the run, what an invaluable power to use in that moment. Did these uh, scenes play play about the same way for you, KW? Or, or yeah, how did um, it go for you? I was not as invested in, in Alina and Mal as forming a romantic relationship as I was mm. with um, the other couple. And I don't know if it's just because I, I don't know. He, I don't feel like they had as much chemistry but it, I mean, you want to root for them. And so in, in a cerebral way, I was like, yes, this is all very sweet. But I just wasn't as, um, I don't know, it just wasn't working as much for me. Especially, too, because we know that even though she's keeping it real tiny, that's also not a great idea. And it's kind of drawing <laughs> attention to them eventually. And so I was kind of uh, just a little bit more anxiety ridden throughout that scene. Mm. But I do think in both in both relationships we see the the Grisha using her power to keep the guy protected, safe, alive, etc. And that is a subversion of the trope of the the guy being the protector. So that was really cool. Yeah. So one other thing in this episode, um, Kaz and Inej are kind of at odds because of everything that's gone on with Alina escaping. Uh, and this is they kind of were. This feels like a like a little bit of a breakup in their like airtight relationship mm -hmm. so far yeah he doesn't like that she is willing to sort of choose alina over over the over the over the crows right like that's not typical for her and and he's starting to wonder if he can trust her to to do the right thing um and then they have this showdown with with several members of the darklings forces um i think jesper shoots a guy three times in the same spot or something <laughs> um, yeah, rather than shooting great. in the head because he doesn't want to shoot his pretty face or something <laughs> <laughs> I love that stuff actually, and and the scene with all the sheets and everything it was while tropey and like I've seen it in many action films. Fun, I liked it, and he's like curving the bullet, he's like ricocheting bullets and stuff <laughs> to hit him in certain spots. Fun, uh, and then ultimately, yeah, Inej, Inej kills somebody by throwing a knife in the back of his head to, with proving that clearly she does care about Kaz 
as much and and is loyal to yeah way more than he's even like willing to admit well, that was last episode but yeah i think here she fights um one of the one of the grisha right um and ends up getting stabbed I yeah you're right yeah the, that oh, the yeah. sister actually the sister of the inferni if the inferni she killed previously that's right yeah yeah um i really like the action stuff yeah um i like when i said i wasn't the target audience for the the book i meant that i'm not really into the love triangle stuff so mm-hmm. the mal and alina um that's sort of just throwaway for me um sort of inevitable and i'm, I'm not that interested uh so yeah i'm much more interested in all the side stories of the crows and and Nina and Matthias. So yeah, it's cool to see. I, I love to see uh, Kaz sort of stand up to the Darkling at the end, where they they're like the power levels are so different. And I love to see that Kaz is able to get away just using his sort of slate of hand trickery, um, which kind of gives him a little more power in my eyes. I was like, oh, like I I don't know, like I, I'm really interested to see where she's going with this Kaz character who doesn't have magic like everybody else does. It seems like, but is still so cunning and so in control of of every situation he's in it seems like i don't know i I found that like a a fascinating interaction between two characters that we don't see interact obviously in the book just want to make a small point of i really like the tension between inej and kaz because as viewers we can see where both of them is coming are coming from so i really like that yeah very much like fully developed characters on their own and we can see that there might be some tension and future love going on there Mm -hmm. but it's going to feel really satisfying after after knowing how much they like he's willing to do anything to basically they're risking their lives to go free get her freedom for the most part well and that's another like kind of problematic relationship right like if that is where they're going but i like that they're it feels like they're doing the work here to where if they go that way it won't feel as problematic because it would be if they rushed it because right now he has too much power over her because he sort of controls their ability to pay off her debts I think once that happens, which I, you know, I think that it makes them on a lot more equal footing. And if there Mm. is a little bit of resistance on either of their parts, I think it's maybe knowing that that is sort of hanging over their heads. Um, If that unfolds in that direction, I won't be mad because I feel like it's a lot more, you know, egalitarian. It's it's going much more slowly and they're both adults when they meet. So I think it's, um, you know a little bit more realistic than falling for your childhood friend or <laughs> or falling for your captor or whatever. So. Yeah. <laughs> so episode seven is called The Unsee. In a flashback, we see how the fold was created. Kirigan confronts the king's guards and he gets shot by several arrows. A woman he was meeting up with is a healer and saves him. The soldiers find her and kill her in front of Kirigan. His rage is powerful enough to break the restraints and he beheads the entire company. He then heads to a Grisha hideout where she dies, and he goes to see his mother. Kirgan used his powers to win a war for the king, but in doing so, he made the king afraid of Grisha and started a war on their people. Bagra tells her son to flee to Kerch and return when the king is dead. Instead, Kirgan gets the idea to create his own army using dark magic, even though Bagra forbids him to do so. Instead of creating an army, he creates the Shadowfold. Alina and Mal manage to find the stag, but Alina can't bring herself to kill it. She touches it, and her powers glow, but suddenly the stag and Mal get shot. Kirgan shows himself, and he offers Alina a choice. If she allows him to kill the stag, he'll get Mal to a healer. She won't let Mal die, so she accepts the deal, and with one deadly cut, Kirgan kills the stag. They all travel back to the first army lines, and in an Agrisha tent, Alina meets Jenya, who tells her that the apparat is now ruling in the king's stead. 
Alina finds out that Genya was really a spy, not her friend, and hid Mal's letters from her. Mal manages to break free, which upsets Kirigan, who's still trying to convince Alina that everything he's done has been to make Grisha safer. The dregs make plans to head back to Ketterdam. However, Inej now has a shot at freedom and doesn't want to go back to the menagerie. That leads her and Kaz to have a heart-to-heart that night by a fire, where he tells her that she was right about Alina. Kaz's new plan is to cross the fold by sneaking onto Kirigan's ship, as he's heard the general plans to cross the next day. Inej sees right through it and asks Kaz if he's just trying to get Alina again and that million Kruger. They find themselves some new clothes and papers and get onto the skiff. Mal also sneaks onto the skiff Alina and Kirigan board as well. We got to start with that haircut or wig or whatever it was that uh, <laughs> Kirigan was wearing. <laughs> it's like a big sign that this was, yeah, this was back in the days when he had a mullet. So this was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. How do we feel about the flashback? Because like on one hand, I really appreciate getting that sort of backstory and lore and like he's much more sympathetic in, in the show than he was in the book. And I think that that's the big thing that they were trying to do here is, is sort of legitimize his his reasoning. Mm-hmm. I'm a big sucker for a flashback of an immortal or nearly immortal character. Like if there's a show with vampires and they show them in the Victorian era, I'm yeah. like, yes, I love that. So this was right up my alley. I loved that. And yeah, it makes him much more sympathetic. And you, you actually like, I understand why you did all this. It's not great, but I understand it. Yeah, I agree about his motivations. They're a lot easier to see with the flashback. The only thing I didn't like about the flashback was that his healer slash girlfriend or whatever was basically fridged, which Mm. I don't know if that's backstory that happens in the book. If it is, I'm a little more forgiving, but if they added it, um, I, that's not cool for me. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It felt kind of pointless too. It's like, I I get, they were trying to set her up, I guess as like a potential, like, Oh, maybe he feels strongly about her in the same way he feels about Alina. He has a history of doing this sort of thing. I don't know. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll agree with that. One thing I did really like about this extended backstory is it um, explains to me that the Darkling sort of considers the Grisha his people. And he I think his main problem is he doesn't really view other human beings as being as important. Like he doesn't value their lives in the same way. But I, I, I didn't quite get that in the book, like that he seems to really feel an attachment to all Grisha. But that came through more in the show. Um, and the idea that he created them as an army. And I think early on when we saw him react to Nina going missing about how, you know, someone was here to kidnap one of my Grisha, I think he, he says to maybe Arkin when he's inter- interrogating him. Like there's just a few times where we see sort of like an ownership and a protectiveness over all Grisha that makes me like the character a little bit more. Because like, you can understand that um, even if you don't agree with the methods and, and the fact that he undervalues everybody else yeah he still sends grisha out to die like left and right oh, as yeah. the general but, <laughs> but uh I, yeah for a means to an end that's his problem right is like everything's a means to an end if he can just extend the shadow fold then everything will be better because right. then he can protect the remaining grisha forever and maybe he's a hypocrite um, about it like you know but that, that's yeah. what he tells himself at least whether or not his actions always line up with it i think is d- debatable yeah so my favorite part of the flashback was his interactions with his mother uh, because it is that that and and his him going to, to the archives and finding the ancient magic that's gonna it's gonna forever it's gonna it's gonna and I actually like the explanation of like the small science versus like legit magic like small science we use actual magic uses you so like mm-hmm. like I, I like that sort of and I assume going forward that that's gonna continue to be the case um, there is this like 
ancient mystical very powerful magic but it's it comes at a price mm. versus what we see because we you know luke we talked about uh in our past episode we wanted to see some of these grisha do like massive feats of magic mm-hmm. and maybe the, the small science like contains it to to that size of magic right um i i, I want to shout out the scene where the fold comes out of him because i thought that mm-hmm. was one of the best moments of special effects I thought it looked incredible. It just like pours out of his back and it forms this wall and just, I don't know, I thought it was amazing. I, I really liked the way they, they designed that, um, you know, and, and and it's such a big moment. It's hard to imagine what it would actually look like, yet I think they pulled it off. Uh, Kyrgyz puts the stag bones like oh, right into, melds them oh, right into Some her. real body horror. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. was really gross. I When I read in the book how it worked, I really was just picturing like a, necklace that she yep. just couldn't take off <laughs> yeah. and was yeah. in no way was i thinking it got all the way i even reread bits of the end this morning to make sure okay did they ever actually say that it went no <laughs> it doesn't say that so that was super gross yeah <laughs> she there's a moment where she hugs jenya and i thought for sure that she was getting stabbed by a, <laughs> by a stag horn in her in the hand too the hand looks so grody yeah like, everything about it Gross. was yeah which i mean well done <laughs> to me like i i like i liked it because it it, it made it feel wrong and in the yeah. way that it that it is but it made it visually feel off um and we felt uneasy with it um as viewers i think so i, I thought it was clever and it was it was definitely gross <laughs> and going forward it's smart because like with a necklace which is how i imagine it as well kw mm-hmm. um that can come off and someone else could have the amplifier. But in this way, it's been absorbed into her. We mm-hmm. eventually see. And so like they're inseparable now Like she is. She has that amplifier permanently. And the, the hand thing for him was not in the book either. I don't think. Right. Yeah. I don't, yeah no, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, I think that was helpful, though, because in the book, she kind of is able to emotionally overcome it. But in the in the show, she has to actually take an action to to sever that connection physically, which was, I think, a good choice. Yeah, I like the way you said take an action. It yeah. really pulled the D and D in for me. I was like, <laughs> she like, took, took, she took an action, but yeah. actually, that was her turn. <laughs> we, I think we talked about in our book coverage how she seemed like a little bit passive throughout the book, and I felt like they did a good job of giving her more choices and giving her more action moments as a character, where she could take an action to to on her behalf or on someone else's behalf. Um, you know, and and I think this is another moment where it's it's well crafted to to kind of solve that potential problem at least that we had yeah and th- so the in this episode we get kaz and anej having the heart to heart where kaz is, basically says like the fe- kind of implies the feelings that he has for anej while also saying like what's important what they're going to do uh to get back and then anej is like wait you just want to you just want to get try to get alina one more time don't you this is your master plan to to, to give it one more shot mm-hmm. and he's like maybe <laughs> <laughs> Um, one thing I want to shout out is the, the moment where they're in the clearing with the, with the stag and, uh, Mal gets shot with an arrow <laughs> and, um, I, I'm like, I'm like yelling at my TV, don't pull it out. Cause they always do that in TV. They're I know. Like, she yanks out the arrow and then she's like, you're going to bleed out. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> leave it. <the>, well, <laughs> the fact that it was set up by an edge in a previous episode, like if you pull this knife yeah. out, you're going to die in 30 yeah. seconds. As soon as, as soon as the arrow, I literally came out, I literally said out loud, okay, you're going to die in 30 seconds. So, uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you know what you're doing here. I was like, is she planning to heal him? Nope. She just pulled it out. And then now he's bleeding to death. 
Yeah. Oh, man. It's, it's a weird trope in TV that happens all the time, too. I'm always yelling at my screen when it happens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even totally sure how Mal survives the series because he gets yeah. <laughs> shot so many times. Yeah. That right. wound wow. that he had, by the way, just from the bullet from before, I was like, I know that he went back to the camp and was able to get treatment, but that thing is like, that was a through and through injury. Uh-huh. There's so much infection that's yeah. in that. I know it for a fact. She's well, like putting ointments on it to yeah. like try to prevent that. She, but wasn't like, putting, she was putting cloves on him. Yeah. And I was just like itching hearing that. <laughs> yeah, that's that. enough. Like, she's, oh, she's fine. No. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, uh, I, in their defense, I guess a through and through is actually usually better than if the bullet was still in there. Because yeah, that, that's, that's where you can get a really... Because you have to get that thing out, especially if it happens to like take a piece of clothing in with it. That can be oh. really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but when yeah. it goes through and through, often it, it doesn't end up being quite as bad depending on what it went through. <laughs> yeah. I just like, you know, over the course of him like stumbling back to camp, I, I, we have to assume that he kept it really clean the whole time. Yeah. I mean, it's not that kind of show, James. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So episode eight is called No Mourners. The crow's new plan is to threaten Alina's life because of her power, but Mal steps in to stop them. Eventually, they all work out that they're on the same side because they're all against Kirigan. Meanwhile, Kirigan has begun his master plan to actually extend the fold into East Ravka, destroying the potential uprising there. Alina expresses her horror after he demolishes an entire city. Kirigan tells the crowd to take what they've seen that day back to their home countries and be advised that there will be no more war with Ravka because the fold can be expanded into any land. Mal bursts onto the scene with a gun and tries to shoot Kirigan while Inej tries to stab him. Zoya turns against Kirigan and tries to manipulate the wind to get them out of the fold. Alina manages to break Kirigan's control over her, and she regains her powers by realizing that the stag itself controlled who used it as an amplifier. It chose her. He watches as she glows and expands the light surrounding them. Mal tackles Kirigan and they fall overboard. The rest of the crows join the fight and vanquish Kirigan's Grisha guards. During their fight, Mal shoves Kirigan so a Volkra can attack him. Nina and Matthias are making plans to run away together and leave Fjorda and Ravka behind. Nina runs into one of Kirigan's soldiers at a pub. Nina tries to tell him that Matthias is not an enemy, but the guard won't listen. Nina yells across the bar that Matthias is a a slaver, which catches the attention of a man who's been rounding up slavers for rewards. The guard allows the man to take both Nina and Matthias into custody. When Matthias awakes, he tries to strangle Nina through the bars. She says she'll deny that he was a slaver at trial, but the man tells her that the case won't go to trial for years, and in the meantime, Matthias will be locked up in Hellgate prison. Nina cries, having realized her grave mistake, and Matthias says he, he never should have trusted her. Alina, Mal, the Crows, and Zoya all sit in a field and talk about the future. Alina gives Kaz her hairpiece in exchange for him keeping information about her whereabouts and survival to himself. The Crows go back to Ketterdam, where one jewel from Alina's hairpiece will pay off Helene and buy Inej's freedom for good. Zoya decides to go to East Ravka to see if her family survived Kirigan's attack. Alina and Mal are happy to just be together again and resolve to destroy the fold for good one day. At the very end of the episode, Kirigan walks out of the fold alive. He is not dead like everyone assumed, but just scarred. A few monsters obediently follow him out. So I want to return to a scene from last episode before we get into this one, because I, I feel like I want we got to talk about it. Um, and that was Mal and Kirigan having their, se- their round two of verbal sparring when he's sort of held prisoner. And I just wanted to, to, to mention how much I liked the lording over Mal of, of his immortality, like how he's like, 
you're you're nothing to me. I can just sort of like wait and you'll like old age will kill you. That's how unimportant you are to me. And the, and the idea of this sort of like eternal character, which we don't know how old he is in the show. It seems like he could be even even older than I was imagining in the book. Um, I don't know. I I I, I bought it and I thought it was like a, 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 the way Mal just seems sort of torn torn apart by it like he he has no real defense for it uh, other than just like no you're gonna regret this um and then like we see that that you know he does stand up to him but in that moment i just thought like it was i don't know it's just really well done and and um i i like immortal characters like there's always a lot of fun there and for the same reason you talked about like vampire stories like that's why we did interview with a vampire in the past and like i really enjoyed those parts of it and um the idea of this this hundreds of years old guy just, just saying, yeah, I'll just wait you out. Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, I thought it was really well done. Yeah, and we can't, we can't overlook the return of the goat uh, <laughs> for, to to facilitate the the escape. Wait, was that and the it, same it, goat? I thought that was that was like a no. He had the bullet around his neck. He had the bullet around his neck that Jesper gave him. Oh, it was the same goat. <laughs> yeah, same goat. Oh my gosh. Okay, I didn't catch that detail. That makes oh. sense. Like, yeah, you're right. Because the bullet. Because I was like, where did that bullet come from? Same goat. Wow. All right, Milo. <laughs> <laughs> shout out <laughs> i love animals in tv and books and movies i gotta say so he was fun <laughs> yeah we got to talk about this skiff though and and all the all the all the drama that plays out i, I loved like it's a, it's an, it just like that uh episode five where i really liked how we had like two different plot lines going on at the same moment it was like this main thing that we knew was going to happen as book readers and then this other like you throw in this complication of having the crows on board i had no idea how that was going to play out no it was really interested to yeah. see what would happen there i loved that inej went and found mal like really easily <laughs> yeah it was just like knife to the throat and then was like explain yourself and he was <laughs> and then they all found I, and then i liked the, a couple of shots of them all standing together and it was like oh this the hero shot of all of them together mm -hmm. they're gonna go f save the day now go up uh, go up and then uh the, there's the moment where kaz is like you know that the smart thing is not to just rush in and mal's like well i'm not gonna do the smart thing <laughs> yeah and he, like, runs in, starts trying to shoot at grisha yeah, and it, it doesn't go well <laughs> for him. <laughs> it's, yeah, but anyway, it, it made sense. What, what did you think of that, of those scenes? Yeah, the the showing the, the ship moving through the fold uh, was neat. I, I never really, reading the book, I never quite got a good understanding of how that all worked and um, how they really got these these ships over this dead, you know, not water sea. Um, so seeing that play out was really cool. And actually seeing Zoya get a little bit redeemed uh, by not being just a flat sort of uh, school frenemy character, like seeing mean her girl. actually. <laughs> That's what yeah, I was calling yeah. her. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And she actually had a little bit of depth. We find out that she's from the area or has relatives in the area that they're going to. Um, so I think that added a neat layer. Um, she's still mean, but you it's kind of <laughs> like you get... You get why, and you get to see her doing cool stuff, and that her status as being a really talented Grisha is well-deserved because she's amazing and can do all this stuff. Um, but yeah, I, some of the scenes there on the on the skiff were not fully working for me because of the coincidental, like, oh, okay, now we're we're finally getting the whole band together after we've seen them all as solo artists <laughs> up to this <laughs> point, and now we're sort of artificially shoving them together. So um and there were some slight deviations that were uh, a little bit jarring. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it, all, it all felt like it was all happening really quickly at that point for me. Yeah, I, I guess I have some similar thoughts. Um, I sort of liked that they were all together because 
two out of the three of the plot lines were finally merging for, I mean, they'd merged before, but sort of for good in the, for the climactic battle. And I had a lot of thoughts about writing actually during it because maybe just because I finished my, my recent draft and there were definitely some battle scenes and things where I was just like, Oh no, I've got these people and I've got these people. And like, yeah, <laughs> like how do you move all the pawns? And like, how yeah. do you, how do you have let the, the viewers follow everything? So I appreciated how they were able to merge everything. Um, I did like that Zoya got some redemption. Um, I don't know if that stuff is in the books cause I've only read the first book. Um, well, yeah, not, not in the first book at least. Yeah. So I, I'd be interested to see if she becomes more fleshed out in the books. But I really like that. There was maybe you guys can help explain it to me because um, I think I missed it in an earlier episode. But in episode one or something, Kaz or someone says people from East Ravka, they just refer to it as Ravka. And Zoya was doing that, I think. Um, so I thought there was some interesting they were sowing some seeds for some cool things that could come down the line. Um, and if we want to get into the big climax now, um, what I really loved that they changed from the book to the show was that it is bookended by um, Alina using her powers. But in the book, both of those instances are really connected to Mal. And she her powers come out because of Mal and in the show it's, uh, he's still there. He's still around and she obviously still cares about him, but it's much less tied to him being in danger and it's her choice and her figuring out her own strength and stuff. So I really, really enjoyed that change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I thought the darkling had more to do as a villain here at the end too. Like I liked that he, he gets in like a fist fight with Mal out in the sand. He, you know, he's, <laughs> which was funny to me because like, you know, like he could have just at any time used his powers. Yeah. They kept that. I think they lampshaded that a couple of times too. Like, um, when a is fighting, uh, the heart render, they're like, they're like going at it and he's like, I don't even need to yeah. use my Grisha powers <laughs> yeah. to fight you. And then ultimately does at the last second need to use his powers. Yeah. And I, I just like that he, and then like, um, when he kills all the people who were, who were there and then he says like, oh, I guess I have to give that speech again. I thought that was kind of funny because yes. they <laughs> all die in the book in the, yeah. in the same way. And I like that they kind of lampshade it more here. Cause I was like wondering, I'm like, what was the point of that speech? They're all dead. Whereas here it's like at least they're 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 calling themselves out on it. Um, yeah. I, this was the, one of the moments too with Inej where I I kept going like mm, it seemed like they were underplaying how much like a stealthy assassin character would be able to get the better of somebody with magic. Just because they have magic doesn't mean they can't be snuck up on and can't die from a knife. So I was like oh, I don't know about this. She's not doing enough badass stuff. And as soon as I was writing that note, she chucks the knife down and hits the Darkling right in the heart. And I was like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> so I like erased the note. <laughs> <laughs> Again, uh, in that moment, I was like, "All right, you got thirty seconds to live. What are you going to do?" Because <laughs> he pulls the knife right out, and I was like, "All right, you did it again." Yeah, I do like that he has like this darkness healing ability, which which definitely amplifies just how powerful he is. You're like, "Oh, okay, this is why he he is so hard to kill." I also love Inej, like sort of, you know, amazing character, my favorite character still. But uh, being outgunned with Volcra around, and then her just throwing all of her knives at Volcra. <laughs> I was like, wait till they get closer, Inej. You're throwing them too I know, early. I, I kept being like that. I was like, that knife is gone forever. That knife is gone forever. And then, and then 
She needs some boomerang knives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some batarangs. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. She I that fits her character perfectly. We mentioned how much of a Batman character she was in the mm-hmm. in the first show episode. Yeah. Oh, and she takes all her knives off of herself to visit the one lady. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh my goodness, how many do you have?" And I just fell in love with her in that moment. <laughs> it was awesome. And again, like that's such a trope, but it's yep. a trope because we love it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and it's a different. It's like she's different enough to where I feel like I haven't seen this kind of person, you know, mm-hmm. doing this role. Normally, that's like we've seen it in different ways in many other forms of fiction. Um, so there's a lot to talk about, like at, at sort of the the resolution of the entire sh- show. But let's pop over a little bit and talk about Nina and Matthias because I don't want to completely gloss over that because that's sort of the resolution of their story, right? With the with the misdirect in the in the tavern. Um, I felt like they were getting to a point where they were almost too cute, like mm-hmm. with over the over the waffles and stuff. Like it was getting a bit cloying for me. So I was really glad when they kind of blew it up with this moment. And I was like, okay, this is now more interesting because if we're just gonna follow these lovebirds, I'm I'm getting I'm getting bored. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to ask though, what if you did have meat in a waffle? Yeah, I mean, it sounds good. Like, that sounds that's... like a Portland thing, honestly. I could probably order that at a, at a restaurant here. <laughs> I've had chicken and waffles many times. And it's there delicious. Yeah. <laughs> I That was actually one of my favorite scenes. Um, not the waffles. I thought the waffles were cute. <laughs> but the way everything blew up because yeah. it, they really show that Nina is backed into a corner and they are able to show how intelligent she is and clever. But at the same time, you know, she's only got the choices of okay, she goes back with the Grisha and they kill Matthias or she does this crazy scheme where she's able to get the Kirch guy to take Matthias away as a slaver. And she's already thinking ahead to like, okay, how can we get out of that situation that even though it's slightly better than being killed by the Grisha, (laughs) it's still (laughs) not great. Um, So I just thought that was really cool. And it's going to provide a lot of tension and conflict for season two, which I'm excited to see. And I think it's, like I said before, it's good payoff because yeah, everything was like sort of too cute and I knew where it was going. But now that Nina has to rebuild that trust, um, I think that's going to be really fun to watch. Yeah, I agree. Anytime you can have a character have to take, you know, like the lesser of two evil options, like that's always a good moment. It's like, these are both bad, but I guess this one's less bad. So I'll go this route. That's mm-hmm. always good. And then, and then, yeah, we get that serendipity moment at the end where again, like, it, I feel like there's like a divide of like whether or not it works for you of like, then they're on the same boat together. And you're like, okay, you know, like, but for me, mm-hmm. it became a feature. I was like, yeah, they're just going to always be like cosmically linked to other important plot lines. And it just kind of became like, whatever. Like, I don't know. I guess I didn't view this show as serious enough to where they couldn't get away with that. It was like, there was enough fun tongue in cheek stuff going on to where I was able to buy into it. And of course these, the crows are now going to get involved in this Matthias story and maybe she'll, maybe Nino will become a crow. I don't know. Maybe both of them will. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I think what you're feeling is the guiding hand of Lee Bardugo <laughs> trying to get the pieces all in order for her other stories that are going to come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we might see a little bit less of like that super, super, we'll call it a coincidence <laughs> that they keep t- showing. It, it, uh, I, I think we'll probably see less of it just because like it's not needed. But then again, maybe they'll continue to try to have Alina like sort of come back into that yeah. story. Or like it, maybe they don't always. Well, that, together and, and, and that's my question because I don't know if those that duology takes place chronologically after the events of the of the trilogy, or if they are supposed yeah. to be happening at the same time. If they're not happening at the same time, that's going to take a lot of work to line up yeah. the stories and make them integrate in a show that's going to remain 
you don't want it to feel like two different stories that don't have anything to do with each other. They have to overlap still. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. going to be a challenge, but I, I'm interested to see what they do, how they do it. If that's the case, I don't know. I could be wrong. <laughs> and speaking of continuing storylines, I think like where we leave all of the characters is, is yeah compelling to me. Like I, I like I like seeing because I know that like now that we've had this introductory story, we can have a lot of other adventures with Alina. And I'm excited to see like what being the Sun Summoner ends up being. And then I'm also obviously invested in the crows. I want to see what the crows' actual story is because I enjoyed them enough yeah. on their own, sort of as like, um, like the other side of the coin of Alina's story here. And then uh, yeah, Nina potentially being a part of the the crows is interesting to me. And then Zoya going off basically she's is, if I understood it correctly, she's going into the fold right to like go to where, maybe where the city because her the city was yeah. completely yeah. covered by the fold. Yeah. And so it's like if she's gonna go into the city, like she has to go into the fold. I think they said so. partially. It was like partially enveloped, so okay. I don't know if she was planning I, to actually go in or not. Yeah, didn't Alina like pull pull some of it back from mm. the city, and then I'm not sure exactly okay. how that ended. That up. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that there was that f- campfire scene that I felt like was earned. Like it, it ended up being a really good scene, um, whereas it maybe would have been a little bit indulgent before. But no, it was like we need to like kind of uh, debrief right and talk about what just happened and where we're mm-hmm. at now. Um, and I thought there was a lot of like excellent, uh, you know, final moments for for different character interactions there. But I would love to know your takes on it, uh, KW and Carrie. So let's start with KW. Yeah, I, I it got slow for me at that moment, and it felt like a little bit of uh, earned payoff. And I also thought, even though we know there's going to be a season two and it's been doing really, really well, it also felt like good closure in case you wouldn't get a season two, right? So mm-hmm. we get to have all the characters actually sit down, relax, take a beat, um, and have one character from one storyline solve the problem of the characters in the other storyline by giving Kaz the, um, is it like her hairpiece or something that has yeah. jewels in it? That's going to solve that problem for him and... Um, and take care of that. So they're they're inextricably linked now. And even though you don't necessarily get the, the feeling like they're all going to go off together, um, they know each other. They're sort of allied now. And it all, it all makes sense why they were constantly uh, fortuitously in the same place. <laughs> they needed to get to that point. Yeah. Talking about the, the luck and the, how they're always ending up together. What if that's not just a storytelling device? We do live in a world with magic and, right. and things, and people don't always know when they possess those abilities. So if there's some kind of subconscious thing that's happening with w- one of the crows, um, deliberately bringing themselves into contact with um, the other characters that they need to be in contact with, maybe they don't even realize they're being guided in that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I do like the idea of like luck magic. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, no spoilers for uh, Wheel of Time, uh, but there is potential for some luck magic there. I and mean, I'm hoping we're going to be able to cover that later this year. So look forward to that, James. I know you're not as familiar with that story. Um, I, I've been holding off <laughs> for such a long time yeah. to read that whole series yeah. because of the podcast. Yeah. Um, I, I did want to touch on that moment you mentioned, though, where, with the like the jewels. I thought that was a really clever bit of world building and, and like a character moment for Alina because she identifies, I think, with Kaz that making this bargain with him is going to be more powerful than a gift. She says, like, no, no, this isn't a gift. This is a bar- Like, this is a part of a deal. And, like, that's something he values. And so when he agrees to the deal and they shake hands, then, you know, it's like she- I-, I felt like she had figured him out pretty quickly and was able to, to do something that made a lot of sense. And I felt like showed character growth for her, too. Like, this was a more mature uh, version of Alina than we had seen up to this point. The bargain is the bargain. Yeah, I like that. 
I, I liked the campfire scene because it provided a much needed moment to breathe. Yeah. Uh, it slowed the pace down after sort of the breakneck fight on the skiff and all of that. Um, I, I did like some of the different characters from different storylines coming together. Like we, we said before, Inej and Alina finally getting to interact. And Inej is like, I've never met a saint before. And Alina's like, I've never been a saint before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which I thought was cute. I kind of wish that was a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, and I do want to shout out the little interaction between Alina and Zoya. Because I didn't care for Zoya in the book. I didn't care for her mean girl thing. But at the end, you know, they... Zoya even says, this doesn't mean I like you, but <laughs> at least, you know, we're sort of allies, tenuous allies, and we've helped each other. So um, they, there's an acknowledgement of that without having to be all, oh, we're best friends now. So <laughs> I enjoyed that. I, uh, th- that. The interaction between Inej and Alina the i thought the gift of the dagger was so cute like i i love that and she's like oh i know what i'm gonna name it like i, I thought that was so cool and you could just tell from the performance um that inej is like this is gonna be like her most valued possession now this dagger gifted to her by the sun summoner and i think alina kind of knew that too in doing it like to her it's like oh, i'm just gonna give you this dagger but she kind of is aware like this is gonna be important to you as, as a as a character going forward so i just thought it was really cool and i'm excited to see what what she gets up to with that new Sun Summoner dagger in the future. <laughs> I bet she won't be throwing it out of Volcra. I'm happy she was able to like re, re you know, re-equip something because she's like completely out of weapons. At this point. <laughs> One other thing that, that I was thinking about with Inej is, and this isn't a foregone conclusion yet, but I assume that the story is going to play out as, as it's been stated so far. I like the idea that like in, in the crow's story that Inej is already free. You know, like that's mm. that, like in that in that. So we're getting sort of a flashback to when she wasn't in this in this show so far. But that's why I'm really fascinated to read like like having met the Sun Summoner, knowing that she exists, and if it, like having a dagger mm. slash also being free. Like I, I, you know, I think that's a really cool place to have that character. All and you know, I don't know if all of this is show invention or not. Like, what if she does have a dagger from the Sun Summoner in in yeah, I don't know. you know I don't the know. Crows books? That'd be really cool. Uh, I did like that we got a description of what the Crows like why they're called the crows, right? Like the idea of the crows remembering when people, you know, treat them poorly, but also remembering those who treat them well. And like, I, I don't know, I liked a lot of that sort of description. And, and then you link it to the cane that he has, which mm-hmm. uh, I, I just think is cool as a character who is, is disabled, I think is yeah. really awesome. Oh, shout out to the fact that he, they totally took that cane and took the beak on it and put it <laughs> into the face of a Volcra. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you knew that was coming, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it had to be used yeah. at some it point in that be. way. So for a couple of years now, we've been doing uh, our judgment, our final judgment at the end of a project of which is better, the book or the show. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, we'll go ahead and give ours first, and then you guys could be the tiebreaker if we're sort of in the middle somewhere. Um, for myself, just quickly, I really think that the introduction of all the crow stuff into this story is just elevating the material in a way that that I wasn't getting from the book because it is such a standalone on its own story. Uh, And like I said, it didn't reinvent the wheel. They're doing a lot of the similar things that we've seen before. But the world building is strong, of course. And like, so shout out to Lee Bardugo for the world building, the characters, the power system, all that stuff is excellent. And then, but I have to give it to the show. And honestly, like, you know, props to her because she's continued to, to, she's working on the show. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of like either way, she's a winner. So (laughs) shout out. I, I, I like the show more. 
Yeah, uh, for me, it's going to be easy. It's an easy decision. It's the show, um, partly because we only read one book. I think it might be a little harder if I'd read like all five or something. I really knew all this material, um, but I loved all this, all the additions. I mean, not everything worked perfectly. We've talked about having criticisms throughout, but overall, I just felt like this brought a lot to the story that makes me even more interested in it uh, going forward. So, yeah, for me, it's the show. Uh, but yeah, Carrie, what about you? I agree. I'm going to go with the show. Um, for me, I, the introduction of the three different storylines instead of just the one made it feel a lot more epic and also gave different sorts of viewers, different things to latch onto. Um, so yeah, I'm actually, when I went into it, I wasn't aware that it was going to encompass the other books like that. So that was sort of a surprise. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It was a pleasant surprise though. So yeah, I'm going to go with the show. Cool. KW. Oh, uh, I'm so on the fence. So I'm going to, since since clearly the show has already won anyway, I'm going to go ahead and say the book. I like it. Only because, <laughs> only because, only because I, I appreciated the smaller focus of the first book. Um, but it's really close for me. I really enjoyed the show. I want to read more of the books now. Mm. Um, I might not have gotten to this as quickly, if not for the show. And um, I think I felt like because I hadn't read the other series yet, uh, getting all these other characters in episode one. It was just a lot of information all of a sudden. I also started the Nevers around the same time, so I was getting very confused about what what pseudo-Victorian era thing am I watching right now? <laughs> so I appreciated that the book, the first book, is just Alina's story focused on her POV only, uh, and so it could be uh, consumed very quickly and, um, and made you want to know more about the rest of the world. So I'll go with the, the book. Awesome. So it sounds like it is the show, but with a, with one vote for the book, which I think is always appropriate. <laughs> I like to see the authors get some love. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm happy with that. This has been a fun project. Um, and thank you so much for co- joining us to help us finish it out. Um, I think that was a perfect way to put a cap on this show and, and this project in general. Thank you so much for having us. This was yes. a ton of fun. Yes. So if, if our listeners wanted to find you online, yeah. um, where are you on social media? Do you have websites? Plug anything you'd like to hear. You can find uh, me on Twitter. at It's just at Carrie Gessner. And our podcast is also on Twitter at Pause Podcast. Um, the, the podcast website is PositivelyPopCulture.com. And my website is CarrieGessner.com. I think that's all. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on Twitter at KW Taylor Writer. Um, I'm also, I have a website at KW Taylor Writer, although it's not as up to date as I should probably make it. Um, and in addition, I'd like to also plug that I am a cast member on an actual play, uh, low fantasy gaming podcast Ooh. called The Cast Perilous. And we've got several episodes out now. We're actively recording more. So if you want um, a narrative fantasy world that's not totally dissimilar to um, Shadow and Bone, then you might enjoy that show. Love it. That is so cool. I'll have to, I'll have to keep an eye on that one. Um, I did want to shout out the the positivity pop culture. I listened to a recent episode you did on, where you talked about uh, the Cranberries. And um, yeah. I, I found that really delightful. They're one of my bands that I, I uh, grew up with. Like my, my dad would listen to them. And um, like so much of that music from that era has just faded and not become an important part of my life. But like I always come back to the Cranberries. Like there's just something... Aww like lasting about that music that um i still enjoy so i just like to hear you you two kind of geek out about the cranberries i thought that was fun so if, if our listeners okay, want to cool. check that out that's a, a fairly <laughs> recent episode 
That's awesome. Yeah, I have to. Ch- I'm going to check that out. I think out. you had a guest on it. Yeah, I was a guest host. But uh, yeah, KW is great at talking about music. I was just for that episode. I was just like, I don't know. I really, really like them. Yeah. They're, <laughs> they're just very their music is super comforting and yeah. and and really cool. So. Yeah, I think you mentioned you liked how you wanted to like, go on a walk and listen to them. And I was like, that's so true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this was great. Thank you both for coming on so much. And hopefully we'll we'll be able to get on your show here at some point and, and people can follow us over there and have a listen. Um, but yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know in the form of a rating and review on whatever podcast app you use. Um, it helps us get the word out, helps us generate interest in the podcast. It's very cool. Help us out. Yeah, make sure to follow us on social media as well. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at Ink to Film. And if you'd like to support the podcast in another way, uh, go to our Patreon. We have a new video on there where we are ranking the books we covered in the first two seasons of the podcast by tier. Um, It was tough to do, but we make ourselves do it. Uh, It was a lot of fun. So if that sounds interesting to you, uh, go to Patreon, $2 tier, and you can get access to all of our bonus material. At this point, I think we have like 35 bonus episodes on there. So there's a lot. So yeah, check that out. And thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. Okay, here we are at the end of the episode between projects. So let's announce what we're doing next. We are going to be going into No Country for Old Men by Cormac McCarthy. Um, And, you know, what a great movie, too, the adaptation. I'm so excited for this project. Cormac McCarthy is a great author. I've only ever read The Road by him, but I'm really interested to see what No Country for Old Men is like. Um, and you know what a great movie so I'm pumped for this next project yeah I can't wait I, I haven't read any Cormac McCarthy but I've heard great things and I know that the book's gonna be amazing and the Coen Brothers so yeah like, you know you can't go wrong with a Coen Brothers film it's amazing yeah amazing very film. cool so definitely check that out and we will be returning in the future to more fantasy projects so you know we always like to sort of mix up the genres but we always come back so make sure to check out subscribe if you haven't already and, and, and keep keep us uh, on, on your mind uh, and until next time Thanks for listening.